God split the sea, and two and a half million people walked right through it, like we sang today. So I gave this title, this Big Red Miracle. And I didn't want you to ever forget the name of this title, so on your seat somewhere near you is a pack of Big Red Gum. You got that pack of Big Red Gum? That's for you. Don't say I never gave you anything. All right? Um, I believe in God's Word and fresh breath, just for you. All right? So, Big Red Miracle. In, in Exodus 14, the Israelites are out of Egypt. They're no longer slaves in Egypt. They have exited Egypt. And... To be honest, if they chose the way to go, which is often the way we are as, as human beings, they would have chosen the easiest route. The easiest route. But it says in the Bible, and I encourage you to read Exodus 14 for yourself, it says that God didn't allow them to go the easy route. Instead, he took them a different route, which was in the wilderness, in the desert. And they went to places like Succum and Etham, and Pi-Haharoth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. How they do in those pronunciations? Yeah, I don't know. I could have messed them up totally. You'd never know, right? You don't uh, um, speak Greek. But, uh, yeah, so they're, they're, they're kind of going in these weird places. Some of these places don't even exist, so they don't really know where these places are. But why did God take them this way? The answer is in verse 3 of Exodus 14. So maybe God was saying, you know what, I really want my people to read their Bibles. I really want them to open up their Bibles in church. Maybe that's why the screens aren't working. So in front of you, there should be a Bible nearby. On your phone, you probably have a Bible app. Feel free to go to Exodus 14. I promise you, that's where we'll be. I won't be jumping around to a bunch of different passages. I'll be in Exodus 14. It's the second book in the Bible in the Old Testament. Verse 3, we're going to start there. It says, for Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, this is why God took them this way. For Pharaoh will say that they are wandering in the land and the wilderness has shut them in. God had a plan to finish off Pharaoh. You remember, if you've been with us for a while now, we went through the whole ten plagues where God punched. That's what a plague is. It's a strike. He was punching the false gods of Egypt that the Egyptians worshipped. And God was saying, I am the only true God. I am the most powerful God. And so he plagued Egypt ten times. And now he's saying it's, it's still not over. Pharaoh's heart was still hard. And he just saw two and a half million people of his slave labor just walk out of town. And he's like, I want them back. So God fools Pharaoh here. And, and makes him think that the Israelites are trapped. That's why he took them this way. It was strategic on God's part to lead the people. And remember, if you were here last week, what is leading these people? God's presence is in the pillar of the cloud and the fire. They could go 24 hours a day by the cloud. It was like a pillar of cloud. And actually, we'll see today, the angel was in there. And the, the pillar of fire is so that they can go by night. I mean, they got visibility 24-7, and they are not going anywhere without God leading them. So they're, out, they're on their way, they're out, and um, to be honest with you, where they crossed the Red Sea, scholars are not 100% in agreement um, where this Red Sea crossing took place. 
Um, if you know anything about the Red Sea, if you've looked at a map recently, and I'm excited that the, our tech guy's got it back up here, I want to show you a picture of this map. So below, at the bottom of the screen, if it kept going down, it's the big, big part of the Red Sea. But at the top of the Red Sea are these two fingers, if you will. And if you, if you were able to, if you're close enough to a screen, at the upper left-hand corner of the screen, you'll see like that, that purple diamond-looking thing. That's where some proposed they crossed. It was actually a really tiny body of water that would be considered part of the Red Sea. And it's as if they, they could have crossed there. But then some say that they went all the way into the desert and they crossed on the right side of the screen on that finger uh, of the Red Sea. So it's kind of like, where did they cross? Now, there's a guy that I found in my research. And the next picture shows something that's... Um, what kind of uh, uh, he found. He claims that he knows the spot. He went scuba diving, all right? And he found in the upper right-hand corner, he claims he found a chariot wheel in the sea where he was checking out. Now, this guy, as I found out in my research, you always want to dig deep, right? We don't believe everything we see on the internet. Am I right? You, you don't, right? All right, I just want to make sure, okay? Uh, so this guy claims he found a whole bunch of biblical artifacts. All right, this guy clearly watched too many Indiana Jones movies growing up because he thinks he's Indiana Jones and he's going to find all of these biblical artifacts. Well, of course, uh, some people um, are um, you know, debating um, him and all of that. But here's the thing. The exact spot of where they crossed is not important. It's not important. What is important is why. Because if you go back to that map for just a second... God could have easily taken them around the Red Sea at the top. That's where they are. In fact, Moses, when he went into the desert to live for 40 years, he did that very thing. He walked around the water. So God could have taken them around the water. Why did he take them through the water? That's the real important part here. The purpose. And the purpose is in the next verse, verse 4. The purpose is, God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh. That's the big purpose. And all his hosts, by the way, the word host is like the word army. So Pharaoh has an army. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And that's what they did. So God's purpose here in taking them through the Red Sea, in doing this miracle at all, is so that he will get the glory. So that everyone will know that he is the Lord. Has anything changed since then? 3,500 years later, has anything changed? Does God still want to know? Does God still want everyone to know that he is Lord of all? Yes. Yes, he does. He's the God of miracles. He's the God of wonders. He's the almighty God. And he wants you to worship him only. That fact has never changed and it never will. And if you want to know, if you are only worshiping God, if God is number one in your life, I suggest you look at your calendar and you look at your bank account. Where are you spending your time and your money? And that will tell you who your God is. That is always where I look. Is this where I am at? Is this, am I worshiping God? Look at your calendar. Look at your bank account. Now, Pharaoh didn't care about God. He worshipped himself. In fact, he thought he was a god, 
a descendant of Ra, the sun god. And he worshipped all the false gods of Egypt. And in his heart was anger. He had hardened his heart. And so now here he's in Egypt and he's rounding up the troops. He gets 600. This is in Exodus 14. I'm going to paraphrase so that we don't um, read through every verse. But he gathers up 600 chosen chariots. I assume the chosen chariots are the ones that were for fighting. And then it says he also gathers up every other chariot. So it's like anybody who has a chariot, get it, let's go, we're moving out, we're going to get these people back. We need our slave labors. Um, They catch up to the people in the desert. It doesn't take them long. I don't know the terrain, but obviously they knew where they were at. They found them, and they're trapped, right? Like that's that's what God did. Like God pinned in his own people between the desert and the sea, and now the Egyptians are visible to the Israelites. They're seeing them coming, and they are now afraid. I probably understated that. They're freaking out, right? I mean, they are, wouldn't you? You, you know you were, you were slaves to these people, and they're coming for you. And what's sad is that what they say to Moses, their exact words, it would be better to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. It would be better to serve the Egyptians as slaves than to die in the desert. How's that for stinking thinking? That's what's going on in their head. It would be better for us to die a slave than to be free. That doesn't make sense, does it? But you know what? Fear is a liar. Fear brings about lies in our heads. And when you might be believing some lie right now because you're afraid. But we have a solution to that. God's word says that when you are afraid and you fear and you start believing the lies, God says you take that lie and you make it captive to the truth. You take it to the Lord Jesus Christ. You take it to the Word of God because God's perfect love casts out fear. And we sang that today, and that comes straight from 1 John. God's Word will rescue you. God's Word will bring you the truth so you don't believe a lie. Now Moses responds to their fear. Two and a half million people grumbling to their leader Moses, complaining And Moses says to the people, verse 13, I'm jumping down to verse 13, Fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. And the Egyptians whom you see right now, you will never see again. Because, verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. And you just have to be silent. Now I'll tell you folks, that's not the norm. When they go into the promised land, they will be bringing their swords. They will be fighting for the promised land. But right now, this particular battle is the Lord's. And he says, you just need to stand firm, and I will fight this battle for you. You just need to be quiet. And I sense a little tone in Moses' voice here. A tone I'm familiar with because we have taken long car rides with our little kids. Uh, When they were little, these long car rides to Florida, after 12 hours in a car, the kids get a little cranky, don't they? How many of you have taken a long car ride with a little kid 
or little kids in the car, right? They can't keep their hands to themselves. They think it's their mission in life to annoy one another. And that's when I snap, okay? Everyone, be quiet. I don't want to hear another peep until we get through Georgia, all right? You're going to whine, you're going to do the time, all right? I know I'm a pastor, I'm not supposed to say those things, but I do, all right? It, it gets to you. Moses has this tone with these, these people, right? These Israelites, he's like, man, you need to just quit whining. And even the Lord says it to Moses, verse 15, the Lord says, why do you cry to me? I'm not making it up, folks. It's right there in the Word. Tell them to go forward. So Moses does what God commands him to do. He lifts his staff. He stretches out his hand over the sea, and the Lord divides it. And I think the next part's really cool. Verse 19. That angel of God that was going before the host of Israel, the, the pillar of the cloud and the fire that was leading them, it now changes position. It goes behind them to, to separate them from the Egyptians. So on one side is darkness for the Egyptians. On the other side is light for the Israelites. The pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. Verse 20, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. There was a cloud and there was darkness. And it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night long. So God did this. And the cloud was um, right there and allowed the Israelites to walk through the sea. Moses stretches out his hand over the sea, verse 21. The Lord drove the sea back by. Now, I underline this for you so you'll see it. It was a strong east wind all night that made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. I underlined it because I want you to see what the Bible says, and I don't want you to trust Hollywood. I say that all the time. Don't get your theology from Hollywood, from the movies you watch, from the television that you see, from the YouTube videos, from the TikTok, from all of that stuff. Don't believe it unless you check it with the Word of God. You've got to check it with the Word of God. Now, this may seem like a small thing, and it is, but when it comes to real theology, real truth, well, let's, let's be honest, the devil twisted Scripture from the very beginning with Eve. He said, did God really say that? And he made her question God. And that's what is happening today. That's why John, Grandpa John, wrote the letter, 1 John, and that's why we are paying close attention to the Word of God today. Now, in the movie... The Ten Commandments, that classic movie with Charlton Heston. I have a picture for you of, of that scenario, that scene. If you remember the movie, I actually watched a clip. Um, I was going to play it, but I thought, well, I don't want to get flagged by YouTube, and, and then they shut us down. But um, if you watch that clip, the sea is parted um, within seconds in the movie. Now, I know it's for the movies, but what does the Scripture say? It happened all night long. There was a strong wind that, that divided it all night long. And, and maybe the wall of water was three feet high, or, or like this picture in the movies, you know, it's 30, 40, 50, 100 feet high. I don't know. I want to go back to that other picture with the chariot wheel because I feel like that's more of a natural representation of what perhaps it looked like, sort of a, 
um, uh, the, the wind holding, holding back, um, as the Bible says. And the Israelites start making their way through there, and the cloud is holding off the Egyptians, and they're in darkness, and the, they walk through, and, and uh, as they finish crossing through, then the Egyptians are allowed to see what's going on, and they pursue. And then we're going to go to verse 24. In verse 24 of Exodus 14, it says, In the morning watch. That's about 3 to 6 a.m. 3 to 6 a.m., just kind of before dawn. It says, The Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces who were now in the sea on the dry land, and he threw them into panic. He threw them into panic. And their chariot wheels, the scripture says, were getting clogged up with, you can imagine, right? Like, I mean, the ground of the sea is not just, uh, it's not like uh, a cement. It's, it's kind of, you know, mucky, right? And so they're getting clogged up. The, the chariot wheels are getting clogged up. And they're starting to panic. And that's when God commands Moses to stretch out his hand again so the water will return and cover them and drown them. And it does. Every last one of them perishes in the Red Sea. Verse 31, the last verse in chapter 14. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord. See that? The people feared the Lord. They believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Remember when the Egyptians showed up? Who did they fear? The Egyptians. Well, guess what? The Egyptians are gone. And now they fear the Lord. They believe in the Lord, and they believe in his servant Moses. When you follow these Israelites, as we will through the book of Exodus, you begin to realize that faith is like a muscle. Faith is like a muscle. The more you exercise it, the stronger it gets. Does that make sense to you? I mean, when you exercise, when you, when you do that regularly and daily, you begin to get stronger. And when we trust God daily, regularly, our faith gets stronger. And that's what's happening in Exodus. These people are learning to trust God one day at a time. In a few weeks, we'll learn about the bread that comes from heaven. And when does it come? Once a week? Every day. So they would learn to trust in God every day. Now, I want to answer this question that I think comes up, and you might be thinking it right now, about miracles. And I wanted to cover miracles in one Sunday, but it wasn't going to happen. So we have part two next week. And I'm really going to get into what we see a lot of, ha- lot of uh, times, in, in, uh, perhaps on TV. Uh, maybe you've been to a church that um, deals a lot with the signs and the wonders and the miracles. Um, they are pursuing them and seeking them every, every church service. And maybe you see a little bit of this fanaticism that's happening in our world today. So I really wanted to address that, so I kind of saved all that. So part two is next week. You've got to come back for that. You're going to come back for that, right? You've you got to. I mean, it's, it's, you're going to hear a lot of stuff that you've been wanting to hear about this and, and where we stand as a church and, and, and all of that on that. So um, that's next week. But... Um, here's the question I want to address right now. Can I still be a Christian if I don't believe all the miracles in the Bible? Have you ever thought about that question before? I, I hope that I'm not uh, uh, generalizing too much. I hope that is, 
I think that's a question that I've been asked from time to time, and I think it's something we think about as Christians. Can I still be a Christian if I don't believe all the miracles in the Bible? Because, I mean, you read the Bible and you're like, what? A donkey talks? Like, come on. Really? Like, he walked on water? You know, maybe they had their own version of the paddleboard back then. You know, what? what? So, okay, well, generally, you know, people who ask these kinds of questions are those left-brain people, you know, the science people, the logical, the tangible. Um, but, but, but you might have asked that question before, you know, do I have to believe all the miracles? Um, I want to answer this question in two parts. First, the question was, can I still be a Christian and, believe all the, and, and not believe all the miracles? Well, your status as a Christian is based solely on God's grace. It's not by works. You're saved by grace, and that guarantees your salvation. You acknowledge the gift that comes from God. You confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're a Christian because of God's grace. Even if your faith is challenged, you're still a Christian. You don't lose your salvation. So your status doesn't change. Amen? Yes. Secondly, do I have to believe all the miracles in the Bible? If this is a struggle for you, I get it. I'm okay with that. If this is a struggle for you, if you're sitting here today, you're listening to this, and you're like, I don't believe all the miracles, and you're skeptical, that's okay. I understand that. But hear me out here. I was recently at a conference where Abdu Murray was speaking. He's a foremost apologist defending the faith, and he pointed this out. He said there's a big difference between a skeptic and a cynic. The difference between a skeptic and a cynic. A skeptic will believe with evidence. A cynic won't believe with evidence. A skeptic is searching for truth. A cynic ignores the truth because their mind's already made up, their heart is hardened. You see the difference between a skeptic and a cynic. So if you're searching for truth, you're going to find it. If you pray, if you worship, if you read God's word, your faith is going to grow. It's a muscle. And you may not believe in all the miracles today, but when you renew your mind in God's word, I think the pieces of the puzzle begin to fall into place for you. And I give you the example of of Dr. Grady McMurtry. You may have never heard about this guy before, but I've listened to um, many of his um, teachings. Uh, He's come to Michigan before, um, and uh, he teaches about creationism, but I want to just tell you that Um, His background wasn't always that way. In fact, he grew up on the University of California, Berkeley, uh, that campus. If you know anything about Berkeley, you know it's pretty liberal uh, in terms of its teachings and its political agenda and so on. Well, he grew up there. Um, And in fact, he was so smart and excelled so much in science in high school that he was actually going to the campus of Berkeley and teaching college students and probably some professors about evolution. I mean, this guy is smart. I mean, that's how smart he is. And his career took off after high school. I mean, he spent 20 years as an evolutionist teaching, probably was the jewel in the science community. And it was safe to say that he was, you know, skeptical of creationism. In fact, he looked at life, looked at everything through the lenses of secular humanism. 
That's what he was looking. He looked at everything through that, through the, through the eyes of science, if you will, and everything is explainable. If I can't explain it, it's not true. Well, then something happened in Dr. Grady McCurtry's life. He got saved, and his eyes were opened. And he began to look at life and look at science and look at things that go on in the world through a biblical worldview, through the lens of God's word. And for the past 35 years, he's been teaching how science actually confirms the Bible. He's been teaching creationism all over the world. And he shows, in many ways, how these miracles that we may or may not believe, that we read in the Bible, that they're confirmed, they're true. And here's my point. If that guy can believe in miracles than any of us can. Because he was an evolutionist. And just like that, everything changed. Because he had a biblical worldview. And that may take time. Because you have to renew your mind in God's word, and he will transform you. Obviously, it takes faith when it comes to miracles. Jesus was in his own hometown, and this is in Mark 6. It says that Jesus could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. He did very few miracles in that place. Why? Because of their unbelief. Because of their lack of faith. If you, if you see, and I, I don't want to get into what's going to happen next week and talk about it, but the big picture here is, is that when Jesus did miracles, it was never for the doubters to say, uh, to convince the doubters that he was from God. He did miracles for those that already had the faith. And it strengthened their faith. That's what you see when you look at those miracles. Now, I know uh, many people today may be seeking a miracle. You want a miracle. You need a miracle. Maybe it's for healing you. Maybe it's for healing somebody you love. Maybe you think it's going to take a miracle to save your marriage. Maybe you think a miracle will be needed to get you out of debt. Whatever your situation is, you may think, I need a miracle. The good news is, God is still doing miracles today. And I believe he can do anything in your life. It may not be how you want it to go, because God often has his own plans for you, but that's the goal as a Christian is to walk and, and open your eyes. I was challenged this morning in a book that I'm reading um, that I'm really enjoying, but I was challenged just really, and I set a reminder in my phone to um, pray this prayer every day is, Lord, I, I know the plans that I've made for the day, but what's your Holy Spirit going to tell me to do? And are you willing to just Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because I have plans to preach a message today, to fellowship with Christians, and I have plans to, to spend some time with my family this afternoon, and I, I've made plans, but am I willing to let the Spirit lead? And that's a prayer that, that um, well, that's, that's what we see here in, in the Word of God. So next week, um, we're going to get into this big picture of miracles and, and so on and so forth. But I want to tell you what I think is the, the real big red miracle. 
I know that's the title I gave this message, and I know you probably thought it was about the, the Big Red Sea, but it's not. The biggest miracle to me is still happening today. It's the miracle of salvation. The miracle of salvation. You think about that. It's a miracle that any of us could be saved from our sins. Because what we've done because of our sin, because of our disobedience to God, we've created what's called a chasm, a big, a big valley that, that exists between us and God. And we can't cross that. We can't build a bridge to it. Even though many people try through their good deeds to build a bridge, the only way to cross the chasm is through Jesus Christ. God sent Jesus to be that bridge. And nobody gets to, to the Heavenly Father except through the blood of Jesus Christ. The red blood of Jesus Christ. Because it says there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. So that, to me, is the big red miracle. Do you know what he's done? I read a statistic that says this. You probably won't be surprised. Two out of three U.S. adults, two out of three U.S. adults, believe man is essentially good. That means two out of three don't believe we need a miracle. We don't need to be saved. We don't need to know what he's done. But what do you believe? Because I think the truth is pretty clear in God's word. We all fall short of God's glory. We all need to know what he's done for me. I'm going to invite our band to come up for our final song. Every day, God does miracles. Every day, God is opening eyes to see the truth, ears to hear the truth of what he's done. Think about this. How can a person one day not believe and the next day believe? How can a person not be forgiven one day, and just like that, be forgiven the next. That's a miracle. <laughs> that is the big red miracle. But you got to know what he's done. And our final song has that title, What He's Done. And as you pray this new, or as you sing this new song, sing it with your heart. I know you will. But think about the words. Think about the words of this song. The truth of what we're singing and praise God for what he's done.